The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. We have some exciting things that we want to talk about this morning, and uh, we're going to get right to it. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. That's where we'll be in just a little bit. But it's appropriate that at the start of a new year, we would take the time to emphasize and think about the most important organization, the most eternally helpful family of which we could be a part. And of course, I'm talking about the church and our church in particular. We are God's family. What an honor, what a blessing, what a privilege to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a body, and Jesus is our head, and Jesus has established a structure to his church. And I want to give a a little bit of an update concerning the two church offices of elder and deacon this morning. I also want to define what we here at BCC mean when we say pastor. A distinction there. Obviously, we're in the midst of, of some changes here. I've been a pastor here for many years, and I honestly would have been happy to be in a supportive role to Pastor Dale all of my life, but uh, because of his recent diagnosis, our roles have switched a bit, and now he's supporting me as I take on the role of preaching. Also, Pastor Jim has reached a time in his life where he simply wants more freedom. We told him he already had the freedom, but I think he just really wanted to have a clear conscience in the freedom that he would take to spend with his wife, Pat, and with their kids and grandkids. Pastor Jim is the most conscientious person that I know. And we, of course, know that that PJ is a hard worker, that retirement is not the word to use regarding this change. He uh, can't see him uh, playing softball or collecting seashells or anything like that. Not on a regular basis anyway, but uh, he will continue to serve as an elder, so don't panic. He will still serve as an elder of this church, but in April he will move from a paid pastor uh, to a, a lay elder. So we will continue to be blessed by his love for the church and the wonderful ways in which he serves, but now he will be much more free to finally pursue that lifelong dream of starting up the SOCL, otherwise known as the Southern Oregon Canasta League. And um, of course that's funny because we know Pastor Jim. So let me explain what we, what was, you're, you're, you're more of a pinnacle guy. Okay. Let me explain what we mean when we say that PJ will be transitioning from a pastor to an elder. Because biblically speaking, a pastor is an elder, and an elder is a pastor. The titles are synonyms, along with the title of overseer. And you can read about the biblical qualifications for this role in 1 Timothy 3, and in the uh, first chapter of the book of Titus. But here at BCC, we make a distinction between elders who are employed by the church and those who are not. Biblically speaking, we are all 
Um, the pastors and elders, we are all elders, biblically speaking. The pastors are not in a higher position of authority than the elders. The pastors are elders, and the decisions made are made together as a group. And we believe this to be the biblical structure of leadership, a plurality of elders. And we make decisions in the sense of uh, if, if we don't all agree, we just don't do it. So um, we, we've enjoyed um, just a lot of cooperation and friendship and agreement and like-mindedness. And as Pastor Dale has said over the years, that's why we've always been very slow to add to that number of elders. So it's not a, a CEO style of leadership. There's not a board of trustees. There's, um, it's not even really the role of the deacon, but a shared responsibility for the elders. So we are, we're all elders, but not all elders in the terms that we use are pastors. And the only thing that we really mean by that title of pastor is that this particular elder is employed by the church in this area of ministry. With an elder, the office and spiritual responsibilities are the same, but the practical availability is not. And so because of jobs and availability of time, we use the title pastor to describe elders who are employed by the church and elder regarding those who are not. So does that make sense? Now, related to this is another change, a change which involves really a conversation that's occurred on and off for several years. Some of you might think, what's this? all this stuff is happening so fast. Well, not really. This has been a conversation. Over the years, there's been a discussion with Elder Bill Pritchett to become Pastor Bill Pritchett, that we employ Bill as a pastor so that he might have the time to better use and develop the gifts that God has given him for the blessing of the church. And many of you have seen this in Bill as a home group leader, a teacher, leading the adult Sunday school class cross-training, and in many occasions of, of counsel, giving counsel and care to the body. So we see that pastor's heart in Bill. And with PJ making this transition, it seemed very natural to move one of our elders, and Bill in particular, to that role of pastor. And with this greater availability, it's going to be exciting for us, really, as Bill pursues um, areas in which he's gifted. He's going to pursue certification in the area of biblical counseling, enrolling in that soon. And a particular area, this is the area where God has gifted him, along with helping me with preaching and teaching and discipleship, and he'll continue, of course, to help in, in areas that he's gifted in administration that he's been doing all along. So it's an exciting time, and God is good, and we're blessed in how God has called various people to serve and grow his church. And since we're talking about leadership roles, I want to quickly mention the office of deacon. In the near future, we will more formally do this, but for now, let me simply mention those whom the elders believe are already serving as deacons. And let me add that this is how we typically identify roles within the church. 
We look at the biblical qualifications, of course, and uh, notice those who are serving in a way that fits that particular role. So we don't call people and then have them do the work of, of a deacon, but instead we, we see people who are doing the work of a deacon, and then we call them to this role. That's how we go about it. So in the near future, we'll do this more formally, but for now, it may be good for you in the meantime, read over First Timothy. Here's your responsibility as a church body, because the elders will, will identify and will see, you know, here are, the, here are the, the men acting as deacons, and we want to call them to this role. But uh, really, we need your help because the qualifications biblically involve character and reputation and and so we rely upon the entire church family to, to look at this. So in the meantime, look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 on your own. Become familiar with those biblical qualifications as well as you might look at Acts 6 that describes the, the purpose for the diaconate. And currently our deacons are these men, Jeff Case, Tom Eastwold, Ron Green, Jim Servos, and Darren Thomas. We love and appreciate these men and their wives who, who serve in a variety of ways and are a great blessing to the church. Something that Pastor Dale's mentioned also over the years, the, the diaconate is often a, a real cooperation between husband and wife. You know, sometimes it's, it's really even the, the wife that we see serving and then, it, and then the, the help in which these men are able to to serve the body along with their wives. So it's a real team effort. But currently, um, recently, I should say, Bob Marcoux and his wife Susan, uh, Bob, who was a deacon, they moved to Portland. And in order to fill this void, we'd like to suggest we, we need six men to, to fill Bob's shoes. And um, we want to take some time before this becomes official. But really, the first step since this office involves their character, their good reputation, um, we want you to, to help us with this. And the men that we have in mind are, are these men, Andrew Getman, Rick Glimpse, Sean Herberholz, Justin Knight, Gabe Morgan, and Sean Thomas. These men and their wives are, um, have been a great blessing to the church, so be praying about their addition to this role of deacon, and at a future Sunday, we'll have them up and uh, make this more official. But look in your, um, watch for an email this week. I'll, I'll give you more details on these men. And um, if you don't, if you're not on the email list, go to our website, bearcreekchurch.org, and sign up for that. And uh, you'll want to just keep up to date with things that are happening in the church, especially something like this. So, Okay. Now let's go to God's Word, to Hebrews 13. We're going to look at verses 17 and 18, and, and uh, let's pray before we go to God's Word. Father, at the start of a, a new year, let us focus all the more on you and your gifts to us. May we not be those who are afraid but instead may we be a people of hope. Lord, we recognize that there are many who are in very difficult and painful situations, some very recently coming about. 
And yes, these are situations that bring about anxiety and fear. But in the midst of it, may these dear hurting saints look to you with a sense of peace and hope. Reminded that you perfectly see all things, that you know the outcome, that you are with them. What a great comfort it is in times of trouble just to know, Lord, that you are with us. Comfort them in this way, that that you intend all of this for their eventual good. Lord, your word declares that you, O God, are our refuge and strength. You are a very present help in trouble. Even though the earth beneath us gives way, even if the mountains were to fall into the heart of the sea, in the worst imaginable circumstances, Lord, you are with us. And your word declares that there is a river whose streams make us glad. Oh, fill us with your spirit. Give us the water of your word that brings life and strength, fruit and satisfaction. Lord, give us a sense of peace and confidence, of faith. Give us a hope that cannot be taken from us. For you are the Almighty God. You are from everlasting to everlasting the same. You are for us and working purposefully in our lives. Lord, give we give thanks for your word, for Jesus, our Savior, for our helper, the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your church and for each person in this family. Help us to love and serve one another, to encourage and build up one another for the sake of your glory and our great joy. We love you, Lord, and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Hebrews 13, 17 through 18, which reads, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. This is God's word. You may be seated. And I have to say, it, it feels a bit awkward to preach on a passage that tells you to obey and submit to the leaders of the church, and it shouldn't. But because I love what Jesus, it shouldn't because I love what Jesus has established. This is his church. And because I love you as well, and this is what God's word tells us and what is good for us. And it becomes a beautiful encouragement instead of really some self-serving demand. More and more our culture cringes at the mention of these two words, obey and submit. I've done premarital counseling and and I've seen that just in the role of husband and wives and not understanding what a, what a biblical, godly role of husband and wife ought to look like. 
So more and more our culture cringes at this. And yet submission to God-ordained authority is really true spirituality. It's an offering of worship to the Lord. Whether it's from citizens to rulers or children to parents or wives to husbands, all is to be done as unto the Lord because He is sovereign. He's the one who has established these roles. So to the church, God says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Obey, which speaks of receiving the teaching given by the spiritual leaders. And submit, which speaks of yielding to proper authority that's established by God. From this passage, I I just want to quickly consider six reasons for obeying and submitting. The first is simply found in the word leader. Leaders exist and are called to guide. True spiritual leaders are those who go before the flock, going before you into the word and into prayer and into the Christian life. Ultimately, yes, Jesus is our all-sufficient guide who leads us to God, but we must also recognize the way that he leads us. The way that he leads us is through establishing and appointing elders within his church, a calling to lead and to feed his sheep. So when an individual just goes about their Christian life on their own, not even being a part of the church, or if um, someone within the church, yes, they're here, but they resist and resist in receiving and yielding to its leaders. This ultimately is a resistance to the leadership of Christ. And this isn't to say that we all become a bunch of parrots who don't think on our own and don't test the truth of what's being taught to us like the Bereans. This isn't to say that you simply believe what you believe because Pastor Dale said so or I say so or any of the elders of the church. No, you are to believe because you have humbly received what has been taught to you from the Word. It has been explained to you by a pastor. And then our consciences are affected as God tells us to believe and obey, to receive and submit to His Word. And I hope that when you come here on a Sunday morning that you you don't think of it like a podcast or a conference or a lecture. But there's, this is a particular body that God has put together and gifted different people in roles. And so when we come together, I hope you come with the thought, what is God going to say to me? How is God going to speak through my pastor, that he's given me to my heart. What is God saying? And of course, check it with his word. That is the ultimate authority. But this is not a lecture. This is not a speech. This is preaching, which is God speaking to you. And it's a gift. So, we are to receive and submit to God's word. Second, we submit to our spiritual leaders because their authority comes from Christ. 
Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So this is not a worldly authority. It's a spiritual authority. And this was the realization, really, that I had years ago as Pastor Dale on a few occasions uh, before I was in this role of pastor. He asked me on a few occasions to preach. And I resisted because of my sinful fear of man. I resisted because I thought, oh, this is just Dale being complimentary or nice or whatever. But then God clearly convicted me. And I knew that this was his calling through Pastor Dale. That ultimately I was not rightly fearing God in what Pastor Dale was calling me to do. I was not trusting and obeying God. I was not submitting to his call to me through, through my pastor. So it really hit me at some point that this was God calling me. It was very much a spiritual authority, a spiritual calling that I knew if I resisted, I would ultimately be resisting God and not simply Pastor Dale. So when I decided to obey, obey, I wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't because over uh, a year or two, I thought, you know, I can do this now. It wasn't because of any, any confidence in my ability. Actually, I, I halfway joked, maybe God just wants to do this to humble me. Maybe I'll, I'll pass out on the stage and it'll be incredibly embarrassing. And that's what I need. And I... And I thought, maybe that's all there is to it. So it wasn't because I had any confidence in my ability. I didn't have any. But instead it was about a conviction, simply a conviction to obey and submit, to receive and yield to God's authority through my pastor. A third and fourth reason for us to obey and submit is one that that leaders are keeping watch over your souls and four, that those who, they do so as those who will give an account. God is the one who calls and God is the one who equips and it's God's idea to give you someone to care for your souls who watches and warns you about spiritual dangers. And this is the calling upon the lives of your elders to serve you the gospel, to give you tools for your Christian walk, to pray specifically for you, to be God's help and comfort, to be like shepherds who care for this particular flock. And the care of your elders involves much more than simply preaching and teaching. And I remember the question coming to Tim Challies, who visited here a, a little over a year ago. The question had to do with whether our access as people to so many good Christian teachers on the Internet has a downside. And what was behind that question is, how has it affected the local church and, your, and the church's maybe discontentment with their pastors, because um, this is unique to our time. 
And you can't help but compare your pastor to these wonderful, marvelous speakers that we will never rightly compare to. So you can get all of this wonderful teaching online. So here's what the point that Tim Challies made was so good. He said that there's a great difference between being a pastor that you hear from a distance and your pastor, whom God has called to care for your soul. And of course, you're going to find better preachers and teachers, but they are not the ones who will come to your hospital bedside and hold your hand and pray for you. They will not give you counsel and help you in a personal way. They are not ultimately not accountable to God to care for your soul. There's a difference between a teacher and someone else's pastor and the pastor, the elders that God has given to you. An internet preacher will not answer to God for you in the same way that I will or Pastor Dale or Pastor Bill, Pastor Jim, Steve. The elders of this church will give an account to God for how we cared for your soul. And I don't know what that's going to look like, but that's a weighty, it's a weighty reality. And I hope it gives you a sense of assurance that we're not self-serving in the authority that God has given, but instead we're servants who are called by God and held accountable to God for what we feed you and how your soul is strengthened and comforted as those who belong to this specific church. Fifth, your obedience is what makes spiritual leadership a joy and not a burden. Yes, there are discouraging times in any church. There is sin, there is resistance to sound doctrine, which leads to division and arguing. And thankfully, it's true what Pastor Dale has said over the years, that that you are a joy. You're a joy. You're not a burden. To be, uh, we ought to want to be like one of those New Testament churches where Paul writes and brags about them instead of one that he scolds. That, That healthy respect and relationship with authority is always... It's always an atmosphere that you want to be in, right? Where there is resistance and uh, disrespect to authority, that atmosphere is not a fun, not a joyful, not a comforting atmosphere to be in. Who wants to be in Portland where there is rioting? Who wants to, well, maybe, maybe um, think about as a kid. I can remember as a kid going to a friend's home and there was all this disrespect, there was all this arguing going on and here I am stuck in the middle of it. What kind of feeling? You're like, um, I think it's time to, maybe I need to get going. And, uh, or maybe yours was that home filled with tension and anger and then you start your own family and you, you're going to have a diff- different atmosphere in your home. So maybe you know firsthand how much better it is to have an atmosphere of peace and harmony. Wouldn't you rather be in a house with 
love and respect toward those roles of authority? And aren't these places typically filled with, with joy and laughter? And the same is true in our church. Respect and love for each other. As we recognize the, the sovereignty of God in gifting one another in each particular role. So it's a beautiful thing. Joy is present where there is a healthy relationship with roles of authority. And disregard of authority brings an atmosphere of stress and burden. Finally, a sixth reason for obedience and submission is that your leaders will lead well in this atmosphere of joy. Our text simply says, encourages you, it would be no advantage to you. Obey and submit to godly leaders because it's ultimately to your advantage. The atmosphere will be one of joy and happy leaders are motivated all the more and have that much more energy to do more and to lead well. A unified, loving, godly church is a rich blessing. And this is the atmosphere of the church. This is the atmosphere that will encourage you to grow in godliness. To the point of maybe even saying yes if asked to be in a role of leadership. Because it would be a joy. And shouldn't it be a goal to, of yours to to grow to the point of leading a Bible study or leading a prayer group or growing in godliness to the point of being an example to those who are younger in the faith. It all begins with an appreciation of roles, which leads to an atmosphere of joy, which encourages more growth and more leaders who look forward to the joy of serving in such a lovable church, a lovable people. Jesus' church is beautiful, and there's nothing like it. And it's beautiful and precious that to become a leader is a, it's, it's so beautiful, it's so precious that to become a leader is really a fearful thing, because I don't want to mess it up. Even the Apostle Paul realized this as he said, who is sufficient for these things? And in light of this, the writer of Hebrews says in verse 18, pray for us. The greatest thing that you can do for the leadership of this church is to pray for us. Pray for the pastors and elders and deacons. Recognize the weighty responsibility and the calling upon us. And Pray that we lead well. Pray that we be faithful in the role that God has called us to for for protection from spiritual warfare, protection from our own pride and sin and variety of temptations. Well, this morning it's our privilege to pray together with Bill and his family. So I'm going to invite them up right now and with them BCC's elders Come on up, that we might do this. Concerning the importance of prayer for our leaders, one author wrote this. If you do not pray regularly regularly for your pastors, then you fail to realize both their importance for the church and the frailty of their sinful nature, which, like yours, is flesh 
in all its weaknesses. So, so thank you. Thank you for being such a gracious and generous church. Thank you for being a joy instead of a burden. And not that Jesus' calling is not enough, but you make me want to lead well, to serve you the gospel and encourage your faith and to see you grow and, Lord willing, to see you take on positions of leadership yourself. So thank you for your prayers, because without the Lord and your appealing to him on our behalf, we are insufficient for this weighty and wonderful calling, this calling to care for your souls. So, Pastor Jim, would you come now and... Before I uh, pray for Bill and the Pritchetts, I'd like to recall the months of March through October. We have the privilege of being online um, with our ministry partners, but at the same time we had the privilege of being online in May with the Pritchetts. And the pastor spent about 45 minutes visiting with the Pritchetts. <laughs> and we were able to hear Bill and Jessica's heart on many areas of ministry and family. I'd like to recommend that you go there and listen to our new pastor and his spouse. What a privilege to, to pray for Bill Pritchett on this momentous day in the life of our church. And as a result, would you stand if you're able as I pray? Father in heaven, we rejoice in what you have done in the life of William Gordon Pritchett. You have called him. You have taught him. And you have greatly used him. And today he stands on the threshold of a new direction of ministry. Our passionate concern, Lord, is that you will use him way beyond his highest expectation. We know that you are able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to your power that works within us. And today we thank you for his wife, Jessica, and their daughters, Anna, Becca, Abby, and Rachel, and for Bill's mentors who have poured themselves into him, preparing him uniquely for the occasion to which you are calling him. And we pray that you will keep Bill free from the snares of these challenging days. May he shine your light in the midst of a darkened world. We pray that you will use him increasingly, use him with increasing effectiveness for your greater glory and your people's greater joy. Your word tells us that when you call us, you call us to do it. When you call us to do anything, you always provide the resources needed. May he draw deeply from your rich well of grace. We are excited to think of how precisely he is needed a man who is committed to the gospel of the grace of God, the exposition of the word of God, and faithful and loving service in the will of God. Keep him on his knees, learning the power of prayer, and always asking the question, is it really worth doing anything if I can do it without prayer? Give him the passion of his Savior who commanded his followers Go, therefore, and make disciples. 
Father, as a good shepherd, go before him. Lead him in the plain path to do your will and to do it courageously. Keep him from sin and in his success prevent him from believing his own press reports and humble him under the mighty hand of God. Multiply his giftedness to guide, protect, enrich, and watch over the body of Christ. Produce and build the body of Christ, the heart of Christ, and the life of Christ. And now, Bill, we exhort you as Acts 20.32 states, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. And we ask it expectantly and believingly in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Bill Pritchett. Pastor Bill Pritchett. That's a fantastic development for which we're very, very thankful. PB, could you help me here? Could you help me move this over here, please? You may be seated, but we have something. Uh, we have the, the fun continues here. Something also very happy to do uh, this morning. Something commanded by Scripture. I think of 1 Thessalonians 5.12, which says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. This morning, we get to esteem one very highly in love because of his work. On the occasion of his semi-retirement, it is our happy opportunity to appreciate the big and godly role that PJ has played uh, in our church's life and to esteem him highly because of his work. You know, nowadays when pastors plant churches, they often begin with personality tests and gift inventories, and they're paired with others with compatible gifts by denominations or agencies that promise them two or three years worth of financial support. And they're encouraged to take that much time to begin building a base, hosting small groups and meeting people before they ever host a Sunday morning service. Well, we didn't do any of that. <laughs> there were no personality tests, nothing like that. We just moved here and began meeting. And you know what? The Lord worked it out just perfectly. Not only did we not have a penny of outside financial support, but our first two financial managers, Dick Barkas and Lauren Bowman, declared that we would be a giving church from day and dollar one and immediately began tithing on our income from the very start, something that I found both exciting and worrisome back of the day. The Lord blessed us with a marvelous group of early members, all of whom are still committed to this church to this day, 
unless they've moved from the area. People who were enthusiastic supporters and generous givers and just what we needed to get off to a strong start. And very early, the Lord brought us wonderful leaders, the folks who've been on the platform this morning, minus one of our first elders, Rick Vecti, who with his wife, Kathy, now lives in Colorado. Ironically, I met one of these first leaders for the very first time in a service at Applegate Christian Fellowship while I was checking out local churches and the Cartwright family were looking for a church home. From soon after that day, so many years ago to this, Pastor Jim has been a steady, dependable, respectable, trustworthy, capable, competent, and well-qualified elder and pastor, without whom I can't imagine Bear Creek Church persisting to this day, and for whom I am grateful. And you are too. I asked what came to mind when you thought of PJ. Some of your responses included thoughtful, enthusiastic about teaching our kids, always sharing the positive about our kids, caring. Penny Green responded with this list, quick to respond, Johnny on the spot, one step ahead, reliable, the real deal, compassionate, a light in the dark word, world, friend, loves his neighbor, fun and joyful. Nancy Johnson wrote, my fondest memory of Pastor Jim is when he came to the hospital nearly every day during my husband's illness. He always brought him something to keep his mind on the future. Travel books, magazines, a beautiful book about our country. He was approachable, kind, knowledgeable about God's word, and full of grace and caring spirit. He made that three months pass with hope for my husband and I. He has truly been a blessing in my life. A very thorough summary of Pastor Jim's ministry life came from Sean Thomas, who piled it up this way. He wrote, what comes to mind when I think of Pastor Jim is a selfless, caring, Jesus-centered, mustache-wearing, kind, gentle, people-loving, early bird, chauffeur, Christ-exalting, Asante in Providence visiting, Sunday school teaching, set up and take down helping, Sensitive, thoughtful, intentional, Medford Library reserving, St. Mary's contacting, Papa Murphy's bearing, organizing, generous, black folder carrying, mint lifesaver distributing, palm note writing, husband, father, and friend. He's the most generous person I've ever met. <laughs> Pastor Jim and Pat, would you please join me here on the platform? Pastor Jim, Pat, come on up. PJ, I still find it hard to believe 
that all those years ago, you made a commitment to this church. Pat, I don't know whether that was for you a leap of faith or a moment of temporary insanity. Think about it, folks. This was their family. Do we have that picture of the family from about 20 years ago? There they are. Now put yourself in Pastor Jim's shoes. At this time, he had already worked a long career in mill management, paper mills and lumber mills. In fact, at this time, he had just been, uh, they asked him to take a second. He managed a lumber mill in White City, and they just asked him to take over another mill uh, in Idaho, in Lakeview, Oregon. And uh, so, but instead, he gave up salary and benefits and the security of the industry they already had a reputation in to become a pastor at a church with little history and no savings. Put yourself in his shoe. If you've got these kids at home, that is a huge deal. Take just a moment to stop and appreciate what that meant for he and Pat. And not only to a church with little history, but not a church pastored by a careful pastor who planned ahead, but a church pastored by me, a seat-of-the-pants idiot. This was a huge leap on their part. And it has made a gigantic uh, difference. Whatever possessed you, and I'm assuming it was the Holy Spirit, to make that leap of faith, I say today, Jim, that you have been the very best friend a pastor could have all these many years. Thank you so much. Now, when some people think retirement, they imagine a move to a retirement community where a guy stops shaving, gets a big motorcycle, and starts working on his putting. But as PB said, it's not going to look like that for PJ, I don't think. In fact, after talking this over with him and the other elders, PJ retired might not look very much like PJ, uh, may look just like PJ working. It may only mean that he stops taking a paycheck. And can I tell you the paycheck story? Just between us and those of you on the World Wide Web, a couple of years ago, PJ came and said he wanted to stop being paid. Me, I'm like, awesome, we'll split up his salary. <laughs> but no, the guy said to him, you are worthy of your hire. We're going to pay you. What you do with the money is up to you, but we're going to pay you. He wanted to. So this may just all be an elaborate ploy on his part to get out of receiving a paycheck. But I don't think he's going to quit because you can't, take, you can't take the ministry out of this guy's heart. And there's a precedent for this. Back in 2014, do you remember this? We made a public spectacle of his retirement from setup. Do you remember that day? Do we have that picture? Yeah. We just tried to get him to stop helping with setup and cleanup. 
And you know how that went. He didn't stop at all. So the joke for all these years has been that Pastor Jim is not very good at dialing it down. All this today may not mean much. Nonetheless, it gives us a long overdue opportunity, as Paul put it to those Thessalonians, to esteem PJ highly in love because of your work. Elders, would you again join us here? Elders and all of our deacons, and you know, there's not a lot of room here, so let's collect at the front of the platform. Pastor Brian is going to lead us in prayer for PJ on the, come on up deacons. Come on up here and join us if you would. PJ, oh, you're I'm good. I think I'm good. And we're, we're missing, we should point out, missing one elder this morning, Steve Murphy wasn't able to be here. And uh, I know there are other deacons unable to be here as well, but let's, let's pray. Oh, Father, what a joy it is 